This is Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. We open today with Alice Coltrane's Lord Help Me To Be, off her first solo album, 1968's A Monastic Trio. Today, Interchange brings you a special anthology episode of the local podcast, The Hijabi Diaries, which is a joint production of the Islamic Center of Bloomington and friends Aubrey Cedar and Anna Maidi. And you may have heard it here on WFHB's Daily Local News. Cedar writes of the project on her website that she and Maidi, quote, started hearing more and more anti-Muslim rhetoric coming out of the mouths of politicians and ordinary Americans. And as we stood in the wake of a violent attack on a member of the Bloomington Muslim community, we knew we had to do something to reach out to ordinary, non-Muslim Americans to help them understand Islam and American Muslims who practice, unquote. That references the attack on a Muslim woman outside of Sofra Cafe last October by IU student Travis Bickford, who is said to have shouted white power and kill them all, as well as ethnic slurs. He also attempted to remove her hijab. One way Cedar and Maidi decided to reach out is this podcast, The Hijabi Diaries. In it, Muslim women speak about their lives, their faith, why they choose to cover or wear hijab, and their thoughts about anti-Muslim prejudice in the United States. This program will be in two segments. And now, part one of the Hijabi Diaries, Muslim women speaking for themselves. Sisters of the Islamic Center of Bloomington invite you to explore hijab from a personal perspective. We want to share the importance of hijab, why we choose to wear it, and what it means to us, in the hopes that by listening to our stories, you will come to better understand who we are as Muslims, women, and humans. The Hijabi Diaries. Muslim women speaking for themselves. This is Aubrey Cedar, and you are listening to The Hijabi Diaries where we bring you stories of ordinary Muslim-American women who speak with us about their lives, their faith, their families, and what it's like to be a Muslim woman in America at this moment in time. The Hijabi Diaries has been interviewing Muslim women from the Bloomington community for the past six months, and we've enjoyed hearing their varied experiences, opinions, and basking in the glow of their amazingness. These women are really incredible in their faith, in their resilience, in their talents, and in their determination to do whatever it is they dream of doing. This is an hour-long Hijabi Diaries special. We're going to bring you shorts from four of our six episodes, and in between the shorts, we're going to hear from our co-producer, Anna Mighty. She'll talk about the inspiration for the project, what it means to her, and she'll also speak about her organization, the Open Hearted Campaign, which co-produces the Hijabi Diaries and the internet photo blog Muslims of Bloomington, She'll also talk about what she hopes to do to form bonds of understanding and compassion between Muslim Americans and non-Muslim Americans through this organization. So first, we'll hear a little bit from Anna. Hi, Anna. Hi. Hi. (laughs) How's it going? Um, It's going good. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about these projects. Um, We're doing the Hijabi Diaries. We're doing Muslims of Bloomington. And... um, um, I just wanted to talk to you about, like, how what this process has been like. I know that I reached out to you, just like a stranger, just like, hey. And I wanted to know, like, first of all, like, 
what made you want to like say yes and start doing projects like Muslims of Bloomington Hijabi Diaries and then do Open Hearted? Well, actually, we already were, or I at least, was already thinking about what to do because basically we had the attack on one of our sisters last October at Sofer Cafe and immediately following that attack were the Paris bombings and then the San Bernardino shootings and then kind of a lot of the political rhetoric really started to pick up in a scary way, in a way that shouldn't be, <laughs> in my opinion, in terms of freedom of religion and living in the United States of America, presidential candidates <laughs> shouldn't be able to say some of the kind of racist and xenophobic things that are being said and still be considered a presidential candidate, basically. I mean, as, as president of the United States, you should be supporting freedom of religion, basically. So the fact that these, this is kind of like sliding under the door and it's like a lot of America is okay with it is really terrifying. And it's terrifying a lot of the people in our community, I think. And it's certainly scaring a lot of our sisters who cover and who are out living their daily lives as symbols of Islam. So anyone who has any bad opinion about Islam or any fear about Islam or doesn't understand Islam and happens to see this woman walk by and is having a really crappy day and just wants to take it out on her, you know, that happens. Sisters get yelled at. They get called names. They get picked on. Their kids get picked on in school. You know, things like this are happening on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. And people don't know about it because it's small. It goes unreported. And even if people did, it's not something that should ever be considered appropriate. It's just not appropriate to make fun of somebody because of their religion or because of what they wear, as long as we're all practicing peacefully and safely, which we are, mm-hmm. then, then it's not okay. It's, it's not okay to call someone names. So even though that that's a minor thing, that's not, that's not like a physical attack like we unfortunately also had this past fall, but it's, it's just as unacceptable because it's the, that's that same mindset. It's the mindset that it's okay to make fun of Muslims or that it's okay to, like, it's okay to have a negative view of Islam. Because, of course, we have free speech in America and people are entitled to their own opinions, but they should at least be based on fact and not on misinformation. So the idea behind these projects, I guess, was to dispel a lot of the misinformation and provide a source of fact, especially for the people here in Bloomington on a Mm -hmm. local level. Kind of open our doors, come get to know us. We're friendly, we're people. (laughs) We want to contribute to the community and we want to work with you. And we're not, you know, as alien as you might think we are. This is Doug Storm on Interchange. Today we're listening to the local podcast, The Hijabi Diaries, where Muslim women speak out about hijab or covering and anti-Muslim prejudice in the U.S. Next, we'll be hearing from Abir, who was interviewed for our very first episode. Abir is a Muslim woman from Saudi Arabia, who is also a Ph.D. candidate at IU. 
She has two small children who actually are not that small anymore, and years ago moved to Bloomington with her children alone to continue her education. Abir will talk about her struggle to continue wearing the hijab while living in the U.S. She'll talk about the welcome she found in her child's third grade classroom and her disappointment that life in the U.S. is not as comfortable for her and her community as it used to be. Okay, so this is on right now? Mm -hmm. It's It's recording? It's recording, yeah. (laughs) All right, don't waste too much time. Living in a country where covering is a norm, I never blinked at the thought of wearing my hijab. It was part of my everyday outfit. Everyone wore one, or many. It was part of the wardrobe, and its different designs served different purposes. I had a, I had a different cover for work, another for parties, and another for family gatherings, etc. However, when I moved to the U.S., covering became an option. It was no longer obligated by the society. I didn't have to wear one to fit in. On the contrary, I knew that I would be categorized and in some cases may not be accepted in some groups. So covering was not the norm anymore. And if I decided to cover and wear my hijab, it was going to be a portrayal of my identity and values. I asked myself if putting myself out there, would it risk my safety, my children's safety, because they were associated with me? I mean, so many people misunderstood my religion and my country. Did I really want to jeopardize our safety because of their ignorance? I have to be honest, my choice to study in the Midwest was intentional. I grew up in the Midwest, and I remember that people surrounding us were kind, accepting, and respectful of my family. Nevertheless, for extra precautions, I decided that I did not want to wear my hijab. I would wear modest clothing and maybe a cap, but I would not wear anything that would make me stand up. So I arrived to Bloomington, and I joined the community just as another IU student. It took me a whole year but I was surprised to find safety in displaying parts of myself. I didn't expect that at all. I got to know women who wore their hijab and others that didn't. People were different wherever I went. And when those people took the initiative to know me, they appreciated me for who I was and where I came from and what I believed in. They were curious to learn more, and I enjoyed answering their questions and inquiries. I even found myself taking pride in talking about my values. So I started praying a lot and asking Allah for strength to recognize this blessing. Eventually, one beautiful day in spring, I put my headscarf on and I left the house. I was smiling. I felt happy and content. I wasn't hiding anymore. I wasn't afraid of being judged. I felt normal. And I struggled to find that feeling from the start. And I thought it was going to happen through blending in. But I found out that normal was just about being all me. All right. Talk to us about who. What are you about? Who are you? <laughs> I'm a mom. <laughs> I'm a mom. I think, I think that in itself is can just explain a person holistically mm-hmm. about you know because everything you do, you do it because you're a mom. I think I study because I'm, I'm, I'm. I want to do things for my kids. I, whatever decisions I make, I do it for my kids. If I cook, I'm thinking of my kids. If I anything that I'm doing, I mean, even wearing my hijab was also for my kids because mm-hmm. I mean. One of the things that I struggled with is how am I going to explain wearing a hijab to Lara? I know it's right, you mm-hmm. know? How am I going to explain to her that there's fear associated with it? And that's, um, that, that, that's hard. So, but, you know, but if you don't have kids, you can choose to ignore that and keep on going. You're not, I feel like I'm being held accountable by mm-hmm. my kids, and, and, um, and it's, it's a big responsibility. On, on the other, on a lower level... Um, 
just a little bit lower. I'm a PhD candidate at the um, School of Education. I, um, my thesis is about, um, it's about culture. So oh. it's about how students, and specifically um, females from the Arab Gulf, how they acculturate and how they adjust, and what could help them well, eventually, what I hope that comes out of this uh, research is what could help them actually become um, better adjusted. I have a motto, and it's mine. <laughs> I'm going to say it's mine, a copyrighted. Um, a happy student is a successful student. And just looking at a student as a person who's just going to be carrying out academics and, and science, um, I mean, you're, you're, you're graduating a whole student into the society, and it's just very important to look at all aspects. I was afraid of people actually attacking me. You know, I don't know. I, I don't know how I would feel like that because it's not a barbaric environment anywhere. But I, I just felt like people are going to be attacking me. And what am I going to do if somebody decides suddenly that they hate me so much that they're going to hurt me? And then um, it wasn't just me. It was um, also my kids, be, go, them going to school. They're young. None of them have anything that really shows what their identity is. But um, I just felt really scared that I would associate them with my identity, and then they would be picked on at school and bullied. And my, you know, the, at that level, they were, you know, they're still elementary. They don't, they're not mature enough to know how to handle issues like that. And I just did not want to introduce that world to them. I wanted them to live their happy childhood and not really think about, oh my God, that person is going to say something about me. But I can say that once I did, um, I mean, some of the things that actually made me um, feel more comfortable is the welcoming that I found in my kids' classrooms. And so the teacher um, and yeah, my, my son's second grade teacher, she was the first one who, you know, talked to me. She's like, I would love for you to come and talk about your culture. <laughs> and so I came in and I talked about our holidays and I intentionally put a lot of pictures of my kids, um, you know, dressed formally, you know, then all their really nice um, um uh, surrounded by family, lots of sweets and stuff like that. And I could see my son so puffed up and proud. And I was like, yes. May you always stay close with your kin. And may he make all your enemies friends. May he make reality of your plan. I don't know. I just really wish that things were just a little bit more comfortable and safe in, mm -hmm. in, in, on the inside. I mean, I can't, you know, it's hard sometimes to go outside when you see something suddenly coming up on the news, you think, okay, I want to avoid going outside for a little while. Wow, that's really... I would never think about that, but like you see something on the news and you're afraid to go outside. I am. I that's am. It's a huge... It, it, it's, it's, it's been happening. I'm afraid to go... Going to the supermarket, I would definitely do that on the evenings if I'm missing something on my mm -hmm. grocery list. I don't do that anymore. And, um, and that's, that's disappointing for me. You're listening to the Hijabi Diaries, Muslim women speaking for themselves. Now we'll hear more from Anna's interview, starting with why it was so difficult in the beginning to find women in the Bloomington Muslim community who would volunteer to speak candidly about their experiences, and what finally made them feel comfortable enough to speak. And you, had, um, you and others of the sisters had told me that um, 
there are people here that are even some of you guys that are, are were were a little bit hesitant to trust anybody from the media because people come in and they'll talk to you but then they'll sort of take and make their own you know assumptions about about what you said you know or or slanted in a certain way that isn't really what you meant you know mis misquote or something like that so it was really important that this project be through the mosque and be um and through the center and be sort of controlled in a way mostly by the people who it is um, allowing to, to speak, you know? Right. That it'd be sort of a facilitation rather of, of, of other people to speak rather than sort of a media commentary. Right. It'd really be yeah, about. exactly. And it's, it's coming from us. We're sharing our stories, our personal stories. So mm-hmm. on the blog, Muslims of Bloomington, we're talking about our lives and what we what our dreams are and what our goals are and the hardships we've faced. And, mm-hmm. um, and in Hijabi Diaries, we're discussing why we cover and why that's important to us. And these are very personal stories. And if we're going to open up and show these to the greater community, which we very much want to do because we want to show how human we are and how mm-hmm. personal we can be and take that kind of take that first step of like okay you meet someone new you're not sure how to feel about them like if we open up we hope you'll open up too mm-hmm. so we we want to take that first step and share that with the greater community but you know if we're going to do that we want to feel like we're being represented truthfully and there is definitely a lot of kind of misquoting or misinformation or kind of putting a putting a certain spin on a story related to Islam or Muslims in the media. And you do worry (laughs) how it's going to kind of come out in the end. So, um, so, you know, since it's our stories and it's coming from us anyway, we, we're the ones sharing it. We want to, we want to share it in a way that seems true to our stories and true to our hearts, I guess. Speak for yourself. Yeah. Speak for ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. This is Doug Storm on Interchange. Today we're listening to the local podcast, The Hijabi Diaries, where Muslim women speak out about hijab or covering and anti-Muslim prejudice in the U.S. Now we'll hear from Amanda, who we interviewed for our second Hijabi Diaries episode. Amanda talks about what it was like to be an American convert how wearing the hijab can be an expression of rebellion against society's compulsive objectifying of the female body, and how good people in her community have started stopping her and her mother, who is also a convert, in public places to express their support for them and for the entire Muslim community. May your wrongs be right, may your songs be tight, may your words give sight, may your newer shine bright, may you always... Hijab means several things to me. It's protection, it means power. I choose what people see of my body. I choose who I reveal my hair and body to, which to me is empowering. Hijab means that people see me for who who I am, not for what I look like. I've found that my personality shines when I'm wearing hijab because people aren't distracted by my hair or my body or my clothes. They just have me. Hijab means that when I'm married, there are parts of my body that are just from my husband's eyes, not everyone else's. I know many people see the hijab as oppressive towards women, but for me, it's the ultimate and feminist statement. It was my choice to cover. Actually, I was covering my hair and body long before I converted to Islam. I'm not married yet, so there's no husband telling me I have to wear it. 
my father and brother aren't Muslim, so they certainly aren't telling me to wear it. It's absolutely 100% my choice. You always be on the righteous side of the fight. May your lovers be loyal. May your soil be fertile. May your cactus. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, I love reading that part about um, that you're not married yet and your family and a lot of your family isn't Muslim because and you're just doing it purely for yourself. Yeah. And so that that was really cool to read. I got a lot of comments um, when I wasn't covering about my hair and people using it to over-sexualize. And I finally just had enough when random guys would come up to me and ask me if I wanted a one-night stand. And I'm looking at them going, I have no clue who you are. Uh, no. So I decided I was going to start covering my hair. And I started experimenting with different scarf styles, but... It was one of those that, you know, the day I started covering my hair, those comments stopped. And I was like, hey, I like this. So you were talking to me earlier about um, converting to Islam. Can you talk to me about what that was like? I was lucky. Um, my mom and I did it together. So I didn't, a lot of converts um, completely lose all family connection the minute they especially women um, the minute they say that they're muslim a lot of converts lose all family connection and why is that the media a lot of it um since 9-11 we've kind of been bombarded with the idea that muslims are evil and muslims are terrorists and all muslims do this and all muslims do that and um i mean my family believes it my family does my mom doesn't she converted with me but my dad told me he'd just as soon never talk to me again as you know because I'm Muslim my grandfather he keeps on saying that you know he'll rip it off my head and I'm like you do realize nobody's making me do this like this is me this is my choice this is who I am I teach. Um, my job is basically I work in small groups with students that aren't making grade advances in uh, math and literacy. So I work with kids from kindergarten all the way up to sixth grade. And um, for the most part, especially my younger kids, they look at me and they're like, Miss Wright, you have a scarf on your head. Yeah. Is it warm? Uh huh. <laughs> it's pretty. Thank you. Are you bald? Sure. There's no hair under here. Really? Can I see? No, there's hair and I can't take it off because then you'd see my hair and there wouldn't be a point to the scarf. Oh. Didn't think about it that way. And we're right back on track to whatever it is we're talking about. Uh My older kids, you know, my sixth graders, some of them have asked me, you know, okay, I see things about ISIS on the TV. You know, are you Muslim? Yes. Are you part of ISIS? No. Well, why not? Why not? My religion says that if you kill one person, it's like killing all of humanity. And if you save one person, it's like saving all of humanity. ISIS obviously hasn't heard that. <laughs> you know, it's the same Ten Commandments. We Muslims are told to revere the Torah and the Bible because Islam isn't a new religion. It's the continuation of the Judeo-Christian tradition. 
And, you know, it's the same Ten Commandments. And thou shalt not kill is still on there, you know. And when you look at the rules for warfare that the prophet put down, like, you're not even supposed to cut down trees. You're not supposed to kill women or children or old men. You know, you're not supposed to attack unless you're attacked first. You're told to live in peace. Quite obviously, ISIS has never heard of that. And, you know, we'll sit there and we'll talk about it. Because I don't want them to be afraid of me in a headscarf. And for the most part, my sixth graders have gotten to the point where, you know, if they see something on TV and it kind of you know, concerns them. They'll come, they'll ask me questions, and we talk about it, and we go on. And that's it. And That's really awesome. You know, it's why I love working with kids. They're so much easier to work with than adults. Because adults see the scarf, and there's so many years of prejudice, and, you know, behind that, that breaking those walls isn't as easy as with a child who honestly just wants to know. In the West, all we want to hear is all Muslims are like ISIS and all Muslims are like Al-Qaeda and all Muslims are like Hamas and the most, the majority of us just want to be able to live our lives mm-hmm. without being attacked, without without having to hear from Trump. <laughs> yeah, most of us would like to not hear from Trump. <laughs> Although I will say this... Um, Mom and I have had tons of people coming up since Trump started his, especially with the uh, registering Muslims. We've had tons of people come up to us when we're in headscarves and apologize and tell us that, you know, not all Americans think like Trump does. You're listening to the Hijabi Diaries, Muslim women speaking for themselves. Uh, um, what was I going to say? And you were talking, you're speaking over, you, you just said earlier that, like, you, to take, taking the first step to sort of say, like, welcome into my life, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this to introduce myself, to sort of take down, to take down the wall between us. And so is that the, um, the final goal of the project, is to, you know, open up in a way that dispels the fear that's, that, that the media keeps putting up that people like Donald Trump or really any of the Republican candidates keep putting up about um, Muslim Americans. Is that the ultimate goal of the project or is there, are there other goals to you? Um, Uh, Yeah, I think there are many goals, especially with the open hearted campaign. There are definitely other goals um, that I can get into as well. But the, I think with the hijabi diaries and the Muslims of Bloomington, the main goal, yes, is to, um, to invite the community of Bloomington and, and you know, the greater community, if, if it, the interest goes that far, to kind of take a peek into our lives and into, into our stories and see what we're like and see how human we are because we're really just like everybody else. <laughs> so, and I, I, I feel like that gets lost often when when the focus is on, you know, the wars going on and the terrorist acts that take place and the extremist groups that exist. When we're talking about mm-hmm. those things all the time, we, we, we never talk about like, you know, my Muslim neighbor that I've known for 10 years and is like super nice. And we go yeah. to his house for dinner sometimes, you know, like I, I want to remind people that we're, <laughs> we're a part of the community and that yeah. we're just, um, 
living our lives and we're a part of your lives and you're a part of our lives mm-hmm. and that's a normal thing right. and nothing to be scared of. <laughs> it's time for a break. This is Doug Storm on Interchange. Today we're listening to an anthology episode of the local podcast, The Hijabi Diaries, produced by Aubrey Cedar and Anna Maidi, along with the Islamic Center of Bloomington. When we return, we'll hear about how the community of Muslim women feel a daily fear of being harmed simply because they are seen. Wearing hijab is a visible choice and it marks a difference. We also hear about the agency of choosing how to be seen, how much of oneself will be seen, and what can be seen. Stay with us for more of the Hijabi Diaries on Interchange on WFHB. Welcome back. We just heard I Want to See You off of Alice Coltrane's 1968 album, A Monastic Trio. I'm Doug Storm. This is Interchange. Our show today is a special anthology episode of the local podcast, The Hijabi Diaries, produced by Aubrey Cedar and Anna Maidi in association with the Islamic Center of Bloomington. For the second part of the program tonight, we'll hear about how the community of Muslim women feel a daily fear of being harmed simply because they are seen. Wearing hijab is a visible choice and it marks a difference. We also hear about the agency of choosing how to be seen, how much of oneself will be seen, and what can be seen. The program then closes with a discussion of Anna Maidi's open-hearted campaign. And now part two of the Hijabi Diaries, Muslim women speaking for themselves. While Anna just reminded us that there is little reason to be afraid of your Muslim neighbor, many of the women I've interviewed for this project have found over the past year or so, and for some over the many years since 9-11, that there are many reasons to feel scared, even afraid for your life, as a Muslim woman in America. In this next excerpt from our fifth episode of the podcast, Miriam talks about the experiences she has had with prejudice, and how, once they started to involve her young son, who is still a toddler, she couldn't handle it anymore and started to think about moving her family back to her home country of Morocco. Yeah. 
So I made the decision to wear hijab when I was about 20 years old. I had started thinking about it since uh, I was in high school. Not because my mother wore it, which she did at like 30, 36 years of age, or because my dad asked, but because I felt that it was the right decision for me spiritually and psychologically. Um, the decision to wear hijab took me four years of thinking. Um, I was between the tide and ebb of my desire to look beautiful in front of everyone, just like any teenage girl, and between my inner nature, nature of abiding by rules and thus obeying ones of uh, one of Allah's most honoring commands. Um, I used to pray and fast and give alms when I can, um, but I felt that I need to do more to please God. The urge to wear hijab uh, started when I was reading a part of the Quran and came across one of the verses about modesty and covering. The sublime and pure meanings uh, of and reasons for wearing hijab are the reasons that kept me between that tide and ebb. I could not wear it right away because I was afraid that I would not be able to abide by all the virtues of being a muhajjaba. Um, after four years, I took the decision, finally, and was totally ready for that big step in my life. I never shared my wish to wear hijab with anyone before because I didn't want, or before wearing it, because I didn't want any pressure. So it was a surprise, a big surprise to my parents, to my grandfather, my uncles, and to my whole family. But, however, to my grandfather and uncles, it was a big shock as they tried to convince me that I'm too young to cover. I can always do that when I'm married and have kids. A lot of people supported me though and congratulated me on taking this step. But it took my grandfather a while to get used to seeing me with hijab. Although he was uh, a man who would go to the mosque five times a day for <laughs> prayers. And he was very religious, but hijab just was not like as a, a, a strong requirement in his point of view, <laughs> but it was in mine. Um, so tell me about yourself. Well, um, I am uh, an ordinary person with no like specific or special things in my life. <laughs> I am uh, the only daughter for my parents, and I have uh, three younger brothers. Um, I have spent most of my life studying uh, in Morocco and a few, a couple of years in the U.S. where I got my B.A. And then I worked as a teacher for two years, um, and then resumed my master's in international studies and diplomacy and then I got married and then I had a child um who's adorable now, <laughs> no, thank you and uh for now I'm still a full-time mother and trying to figure out if I want to move on for PhD or just take uh take a rest from mm. from school so how many years did you grow up in Morocco well until yeah, well, until I was 20, 
until I was 20 years old. And then um, I got a scholarship to come to the U.S. and have uh, a B.A. So I spent 20 years in Morocco. What's it like there? Well, it's... um, I don't know if you know where it is geographically, but it's it's south of Spain. Yeah, and it's on the Atlantic and the Mediterranean, so... We have a lot of visitors from all over the world, so we see people from all cultures, mm-hmm. from different regions uh, in the globe, and uh, it's a beautiful country, so <laughs> yeah, so it's like a lot of traveling if you have time and money. Um, and the culture is also very diverse because there are Arabs, there are Amazigh's there, so, but... Um, the country is a Muslim country mm-hmm. by like 99 point something percent Muslims. Devotion is my art and So what was it like um, coming from Morocco to live in the United States? What's different, would you say? Well, um, let's see. It was definitely how people look at me here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in Morocco I was... Uh, kind of invisible (laughs) but in my community it was you know I would say more respected than other people for like my achievements academic or you know life achievements but here uh, I feel like people would not uh, I mean not not the majority it's just a, a minority that wouldn't you know, would make me feel that I'm not home. Like the harshest experience I've uh, I've experienced here is when I was once with my son uh, in a park and uh, one of the kids approached us and he was telling me about his superhero cape and uh, that his name was something, I can't remember. I think he was like six or seven years old. And then his parents called him and just asked him not to play with us or near us uh so that was like too much for me because um i can understand that people have certain biases uh from the media or from like what they hear from other people but what i cannot take is my son growing to understand that one day i don't want him to see that and this is what makes me want to go back home as soon as possible Because, uh, you know, it's just not healthy for kids to grow in situations like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, this was the harshest experience because it included my son. The other experiences I don't care anymore because I can understand. I see the media here. I see the main um, stream discourse uh, against Muslims and Islam. But I understand that it's like a big agenda and people have an excuse to some extent. So I try not to blame anyone. But when it comes to my son, I I just can't. It hurts so bad. Yeah, I feel that the reason why a lot of, um, like, you know, the attacks in France and in Brussels... It happened because uh, because of people who had, uh, you know, 
the French or the, the Belge citizenship, which means that these people probably had those same experiences and they grew with some negative, negative feelings about that place and that they are not like the rest of human beings. And I don't want my son to grow up in that atmosphere. So I feel like, yeah, I, I just need to get done here and go back home where we are more, more respected. And That's so sad. Yeah. I don't want you to leave. Well, I don't know. Maybe another state, maybe another place. But frankly, in the Midwest, I haven't had really nice experiences the east coast has been more welcoming i don't know maybe it's just that maybe people changed i don't know i've been there between 2006 and 2008 the um, the harsh discourse started started then but then it got harsher and harsher lately and it's been uh, really bad lately yeah and i just can't handle this and all the shootings of muslims and the attacks and assaults and everything I'm afraid like for my safety and my child's safety and my husband's safety so what will help us understand that our Muslim neighbors are not here to harm us what will it take to assuage our fears is this fear that we are experiencing even rational enough to assuage with reason and logic Is this really all about our fear of the unknown, of the person who's different than us? Is it latent grief? When we see a Muslim person, do we all automatically start to remember the Paris bombings, Brussels, or even further back to the Pentagon and the Twin Towers? Do we still need someone to blame, even after all these years, after bin Laden's death, even after all the death and all the wars? Our grief is turning into something bitter and destructive. And although I understand every bit of it, although I have sat working at a desk job in New York City last summer on the 4th of July thinking, what if? Although I've been angry and sad and so, so afraid, I know that if I allow, if we all allow this anger and blaming and fear to go any further and to alienate and isolate any more people, we will turn into a country that we don't want to be. It's really high time that we sort out our issues. And the first step can be showing support to these people, our Muslim neighbors, by picking up a book about Islam, taking a Muslim friend out for tea, or listening to the hijabi diaries, just opening up our minds to the idea that these people could be different than what the news is telling us they are, is a really good first step. project is that it's not necessarily about you keeping on having to tell us just 
I feel like a lot of what I hear in the news is like um, Islam, uh, Muslim people having to to keep on assuring people that they're not terrorists. And this project focuses a lot more, especially like the open hearted campaign focuses a lot more on just speaking about your lives and about, you know, who you are rather than who you aren't. Right. You know, and so people tend to not know as much about Islam because most of what, what we're talking about is I'm not a terrorist. I'm not a terrorist. But like, who are you versus versus if you're not you're not a terrorist but who are you like what what does your religion mean you know like why do you wear the hijab like things like that would do you think that those are things that would help people understand more yeah and I, i think also that it's that it's easy when we're talking about Islam, it's so easy to talk about the five pillars of Islam mm-hmm. and how you pray and, um, you know, kind of the factual information about what Islam is, which is very important mm-hmm. and um, also very available, something that you can find online fairly easily. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's a lot harder to find connection with real Muslims. And that's something that I want to provide through these projects. Mm-hmm. Not everyone knows a Muslim. And even if they wanted to know a Muslim, maybe wouldn't know where to start. Or maybe there aren't even any Muslims in your community. Do I just there. show up at the mosque? <laughs> right. Like, how do, scary. I, how do I meet a Muslim? And yeah. even, even if you, you know, do want to and you, you may not know enough to, to start a relationship. Or you may be, you know, people are shy and people are, you know, don't know where to begin with these kinds of things. And this with the you know the media capabilities we have today it's so it's so um um it's so easy for us to share our stories online mm-hmm. and that and and kind of um and in that way kind of interact with multiple people at once mm-hmm. and just kind of say like here we are mm-hmm. you know welcome <laughs> <laughs> This is Doug Storm on Interchange. Today we're listening to the local podcast, The Hijabi Diaries, where Muslim women speak out about hijab or covering and anti-Muslim prejudice in the U.S. This next excerpt is from our sixth episode, our latest, where our friend Katie talks about how she became a Muslim, why she wears the hijab, and how she feels that even though she's dealt with a lot of verbal harassment when she goes out in public wearing her hijab, She has as much of a right to be here, to be an American, to practice her religion freely as an American, as any of the people who tell her to go back where she came from, which is, by the way, a small town called Marion, Indiana. Yes, I want your mercy, and I feel your mercy, yes, I feel your mercy. After my conversion to Islam five years ago, I started wearing the hijab. For me, this experience has been extremely freeing. When I wear the hijab, I am the one that gets to decide who sees what of my body. I'm in control of what I choose to cover and what I choose to reveal. The hijab makes me very comfortable in social situations. People are not able to focus on what I'm wearing or what my body looks like when they talk to me. They focus on me as a person and what I have to say. 
In a society where there's an obsession with physical appearance, especially with women, I'm able to remove myself from that in many ways with the hijab. In the Quran, we are told in Surah Al-Ahzab, O Prophet, tell your wives and your daughters and the women of the believers to draw their cloaks or veils all over their bodies. That will be better that they should be known as free, respectable women so as not to be annoyed. And Allah is ever oft forgiving, most merciful. Not only does wearing hijab feel good and make me feel comfortable in my day-to-day life, it also allows me to follow the command of God. When you're around people in the U.S. who have never really been exposed to hijab or other religions in general, like in my small hometown, you are exposed to a lot of interesting situations. Some of these are negative, some positive, and some are just funny. Once I was visiting a friend in my hometown during winter break and we were at our house with her grandparents. Her grandpa kept turning up the heat and offering me blankets. I came to find out that he thought I was wearing a scarf around my head because I was cold. I thought this was one of the cutest responses I've gotten to wearing hijab from someone who had never seen it before. He had no clue because I mean he was born and raised in that small town so you know if you don't get exposed to things like that then you know but it was really I thought it was really cute of him. And where's the town where you're from? Marion, Indiana. Um, It's northeast, northeastern Indiana. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about yourself. Just like. Well, I was, like I said, born and raised in Marion, Indiana. And then I came to Bloomington for undergrad and started out studying criminal justice and then just took some classes on religion because I was interested in um, religions in general, and I really wanted to figure out like where I stood as far as religion is concerned. I was, I guess, Christian at the time because that's what I was exposed to, but I didn't really believe in anything other than God. So I guess like I kind of called myself agnostic. I didn't really have a title for myself, and I really wanted to like learn, you know, what other religions are out there. And I took a class on Buddhism, Christianity, and um, Islam, and a few other just like random other classes that weren't really focused on the religion itself, but like it was included. And then I took a class on Islam and I really liked it. And every day after class, I stayed after asking questions and I had like this notebook. Basically, I took it to prove it wrong. Like that was my goal was like, I'm going to figure out why these other religions aren't for me, you know, why like these don't work, you know, and I kind of went into it with that, you know, plan you know in mind that I'm going to prove this wrong and so every day after class I had this notebook filled with questions and I was like why is this like this why is this like this you know like kind of like and I was kind of being rude you know when I asked these questions after class with the professor who was Muslim and I was like you know why is this the case you know why why do women have to do this and men don't have to do this and he just came back with like calm responses you know he always had like evidence and stuff he's like this is why you know and these are the reasons why and um he was very patient with me and at the end of the class I was just like well (laughs) I guess I don't disagree with anything I guess I'm Muslim now it wasn't like I had like a revelation one day and I was like wow you know this makes sense it was more of just like I realized that I didn't have any there was nothing I could dis disprove or like you know I just like I was like, okay, I guess I'm Muslim now, you know, which is kind of funny. But so, yeah, I took that class and then that led me to taking Arabic because he recommended that I should in order to like read the text myself without any translations. And so I took Arabic and then I added Arabic as a major as well and then graduated in 2012. 
and then went to the United Arab Emirates um, in the Middle East for, if, if you've heard of Dubai before, like mm-hmm. near there, and lived there for about two years and taught English and then started my master's there and then came back and finished my, and now I'm finishing up my master's right now. I've dealt with hate a lot. Um, some of it isn't so blatant, but I have had really blatant attacks, like not physical, luckily, but definitely um, I've had a man chase me in his car um, when I was driving, um, going home actually. He started following me in his truck and tailing me really close and kind of like weaving behind me. And I got kind of scared, you know, I changed lanes, he followed me, changed lanes, he followed me. And then when we came to a stoplight, he pulled up beside me and rolled his window down and started screaming at me, you know, screaming profanities and telling me that I need to go back where I came from, which is kind of comical because I'm like, okay, Marion, let me drive, (laughs) let me drive there real quick. And that's a very strange feeling is that you're not welcome in your own country, you know, then you're like... Because you went from being somebody who... Like, with, with, like, with, like, without the headscarf and the, and the rest of the covering, you're someone who's, like, completely welcome in your own country. Like, this is where you live, and people wouldn't even, like, take a second glance. And the exactly. minute that you put it on, you, you're from somewhere else. Somewhere else, yeah. It's, it's so strange. I mean, it's very, very, it's a very odd feeling, you know? And it's very, like, isolating and confusing, because then you're like, well, I'm not welcome here. Where am I welcome, you know? Where can I go that I would be... You know, because it's like, even if I go to a Muslim country where a lot of women cover, it's like, I'm still foreign there. I'm American, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I am American. It's like, whether these people like it or not, I am American, mm-hmm. you know? And I have a right to call myself American. I have a right to be here just like they do. listening to the hijabi diaries for the last part of our show we want to tell you a little bit about the open-hearted campaign a campaign that anna mighty our co-producer has created to forge bonds of understanding and compassion between muslim americans and non-muslim americans in the hope that we can sort out our differences and make our communities safer more peaceful and more harmonious here's anna so talk briefly to me about the Open Hearted Campaign and what that is about, because that's like that's what's hosting both these projects, but what's the greater purpose of the Open Hearted Campaign? Right, so the Open Hearted Campaign um, is basically, you know, as the, as the Women's Committee president is the, at the Islamic Center of Bloomington, I talk to a lot of Muslim women. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing is that they're nervous. And what I'm also hearing is that they don't know how to fix it and they don't know how to reach out and they don't really think that, you know, just being quiet about it and hoping it goes away is working anymore. (laughs) That it's time to like actively address the issues people have with Islam and with Muslims, whether they're based on misinformation or not, to just kind of reach out and say, hey, look, we're all friends here. (laughs) So that's what the campaign is. The campaign is basically saying it's a campaign from American Muslims for all Americans. And 
it's a way of basically um, allowing those people that want to show their support for the Muslim community to do so. Mm-hmm. It's a way of allowing American Muslims to um, help dispel some of the misinformation, and that's mm-hmm. what the hijabi diaries and Muslims of Bloomington, the, some of the main goals there. Um, and it's also a way to help other other small mosques and even larger mosques if they need the resources um, to have the tools they need to reach out to their communities. So our mosque, for example, is very small. We're run basically completely by volunteers. So any time and energy being invested into any project is just on an as-you-can basis. So for us to do something like a podcast or to do something like a blog Mm -hmm. is going to require a lot of commitment from a lot of people and we may not necessarily have the resources or the know-how to do that kind of thing. And thank God we do. We're doing it. And mm-hmm. I'm really pleased with how it's going. But I'm sure there are other mosques in similar situations. They're in a small city. They don't have a lot of funds. Mm-hmm. They don't have necessarily the people that have the skills to do these kinds of things. It's a way for us to kind of make... Um, a starting point for, for, for other mosques to reach out to so that it's not just happening here in Bloomington, that it's going to happen in other cities across the state, across the country. You know, hopefully, um, as the project grows, we can reach more and more people and make more and more of a difference. Yeah, and that's why it's called, it's part of why it's called open-hearted. It's just the idea you know, it's a kind of multi-meaning mm-hmm. word. Like, like we as Muslims, we are an open-hearted people. Mm-hmm. We, <laughs> we, we are opening our hearts and sharing with you. Mm-hmm. And then we ask that you are open-hearted. Please be open-hearted towards us as a minority group. Treat us, treat us as you would any other human, you right. know, as our brothers and sisters in humanity. Mm-hmm. That's our show. Thank you to Aubrey Cedar and Anna Maidi, along with the Islamic Center of Bloomington, for the opportunity to air this special anthology edition of their podcast, The Hijabi Diaries, Muslim Women Speaking for Themselves. You can hear more of The Hijabi Diaries on their website, hijabidiaries.com, and you can contact them at muslimsofbtown at gmail.com. The music used in this special podcast was by Baraka Blue and Pearls of Islam. Visit the Open Hearted Campaign at openheartedcampaign.org. Thanks for listening. This is Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Our board engineer is Jonathan Richardson. Executive producer is Joe Crawford. Living Space, off of John Coltrane's Infinity, with overdubs by Alice Coltrane, takes us into the jazz menagerie. Coming up next, right here on your community radio station, WFHB.